Welcome to episode two of No Coaster Needed. I'm Jacob McCourt. This show is about casual conversations between people of different ages, backgrounds, and from different walks of life. My hope is that the show feels like two friends catching up at a pub with a drink. It's a pub, so you don't need a coaster. Get it? The entirety of the first season of the show is about people with ties to the Rose City, people with ties to Windsor, Ontario. On today's show, I sat down with Emily Cushman. She is the co-founder and CEO of Kira Talent. It's a Toronto-based company building software to make it easier on universities and colleges to assess their applicants. We recorded this episode in one of the meeting rooms at the Kira Talent office in downtown Toronto. Emily is a past recipient of the HSBC Woman Leader of Tomorrow Award and was named one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women in 2012. On today's show, we talk about her first dream of being an astronaut, getting into the prestigious Next36 program, co-founding Kira Talent, how her role evolved and changed, and all of the anecdotes in between. This is No Coaster Needed, intimate conversations with incredible people. Let's start all the way back at the beginning. So you grew up in Windsor. Tecumseh. Uh, Tecumseh, Ontario. <laughs> uh, it's probably hard to explain to people like, hey, I'm from Tecumseh. You just say Windsor, right? Yeah, I usually say I'm from about 30 minutes outside of Windsor. And you went to Lesore High School, right? Yes. A French high school. French Catholic high school. Your dad's a teacher. or Sorry, your dad's an engineer. Your mom's a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> what did you want to be when you got out of high school? Um, I wanted to work for NASA. You wanted to work for NASA. Mm-hmm. What made you decide, hey, I want to work for NASA? Um, I've always been a fan of the sciences and math, and I just always had this really deep fascination with space growing up, uh, ever since like back at St. Marguerite, you know, which was my grade school, elementary school. Um, that was just always a, a deep passion of mine. So I just thought naturally, you know, my dad's an engineer and I love the sciences, but I love space, you know. NASA that was the goal (laughs) is that something you told teachers like hey I want to be an astronaut at NASA um I don't think I ever told any teachers about that but it was just kind of ingrained if you ask my like some of my closer friends they would say oh yeah I remember those days (laughs) and what happened how did you end up in business in university Well, I had a bad experience. I had actually applied to the sciences in university. I had gotten accepted and I was going to go in. And then, you know, basically I I remember writing this final exam in a physics class and ended up doing very well in the class. And on the way out, he just said, I hope you never go into the sciences. And I said, you know what? I will never go into the sciences. Put my exam on his desk and I walked out and I never looked back. (laughs) After you did well on the exam, Mm -hmm. he said, I hope you never go into the sciences. Yeah. That that seems totally backwards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so but that's the honest truth. That's why. I, so basically, I finished, and that night I turned down the acceptance from uh, sciences and engineering at uh, UW Windsor, and I accepted for business. And at the, at the time, again, it was just because my two best friends had gone into business, and I had just taken one business course in high school, so I didn't actually really know what I was going into. I remember walking into my first day of business school, thinking I have no idea what degree I'm in right now. <laughs> And did you have any focus in your classes or were you just kind of taking whatever the curriculum said, hey, I should take a variety of different classes? Yeah, I mean, for the first two years, it's pretty generalized. So I just followed 
you know, the general curriculum. And then when it came time to specialize in my third year, kind of went through the experience of then exploring what might be the best path. I tried out a couple accounting classes, didn't like it, tried out finance, didn't like it, marketing, eh, HR, didn't like that either. So then at the time, the university didn't really have an entrepreneurship concentration, but got really involved in uh, the Enactus team, which again is a kind of nonprofit organization club at the school. And that kind of became my own little entrepreneurship focus in my last two years. How did you discover Enactus? Well, I was sitting in the common area in the business building, which I can't remember what it was called. Some commons area. Dividends, I think was Dividends, that's it. Yes, I was sitting in dividends and I was really just trying to figure out what to do because at this point I had just entered my third year didn't have a concentration, which I was kind of the oddball because everyone had a concentration. Everyone was, you know, was going to be an accountant or in finance. And I was just kind of in no man's land. And I was sitting in dividends and I saw this group of people walk by in suits, like a group of students. And I went out and I talked to one of them. I said, hey, what's up? And they basically just said, oh, we just got back from L.A. It's this great trip. You know, we competed and you know, all these um, fantastic initiatives that we'd put together. And I was like, what? Like, what is this? Like, I, I want to be part of it. And they said, yeah, it's this thing called Enactus. We basically just, you know, we're, we're an, or, uh, an organization and we put together all these different initiatives to help the community on a social, economic or environmental level. So that was really how I discovered it. It was just randomly kind of stumbled upon it. And then immediately I got in touch with Brad Roulette, who at the time was the president of Enactus at the University of Windsor chapter. And he put me in touch with Darina, who was basically the woman who was running this program called Startup Drinks, which at the time, you know, there wasn't really a startup community in the Windsor area. So this was just one event that was run every month to try and get startups together and networking and, you know, helping businesses to make connections to get them off the ground. So got involved in Startup Drinks for a little while really enjoyed you know the concept as well as just being exposed to different entrepreneurs really enjoyed the organization and then you know within a couple months uh enactus they they have these series of presentations where every year they compete against other schools you know regionally nationally and internationally on who made the most impact so how many jobs did you create you know what was your environmental impact um, was your social impact so i was able to get onto one of the presentation teams and then just totally fell in love with the organization now to give people uh a view of what you go through when you do one of these presentations. Can you like explain the spectacle of one of these Enactus presentations? Because it's it's truly something unique when you see it. It is. And I, I actually, you know, forgot for a little while. I mean, it's been five, six years since, but I was able to go back to one of the presentations recently and it just blew my mind. So Enactus presentations are like no other. First of all, they're usually somewhere between 10 and 25 minutes. They are 100% scripted, memorized every word, every facial expression, every blink. (laughs) Um, Your outfits are coordinated. You know, there is a Steven Spielberg, you know, movie level playing in the background in terms of what you're presenting and the content. Uh, you know, sometimes there's fireworks. <laughs> there's it, they're, they're really, you know, they're, they're productions on, on stage where you're, you're inspiring and you're sharing all of these amazing results from the past year of, of hard work that you've done at your respective school or chapter. And, you know, people get really into it. And you're, you're presenting in front of hundreds of people, sometimes thousands. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a really interesting experience to be a part of at you know, a somewhat young age. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a presentation that's timed down to the second. Yes. <laughs> so you do those presentations and your programs for that year, weren't you guys selected to be one of the the best teams in Canada for that year? 
Yeah, that's right. So the first year, and again, this was in my third year of university, we had made it to nationals and specifically in the top five. And I think we finished third that year. And yeah, basically it was just from all of the results of the initiatives that year. So again, I mentioned startup drinks. That's just one. Enactus in Windsor at the time had, I think, five or six different initiatives that they were running, one of which was like a microfinance program in um, high schools. So again, all of these programs really to better the community in some way, shape or form. Yeah, you had Demo Camp too as yeah, well. Demo Camp. which was like a <laughs> almost like a mini dragon's den for people to come in and pitch their business ideas is that the idea yeah there was demo camp there was one called computers for kids which was taking old computers and then refurbishing them and giving them back to families in need um there was i think i can't remember if it was that year or another year we started um like a refugee clinic anyways there was a whole bunch of them <laughs> Uh, and you took over the club in your last year at the school, right? I did. So I just fell in love with it so much. Again, just being part of the presentation team, feeling all the energy and all, just seeing all of the programs and the impact that it was having in the community. So uh, I decided, I can't remember why, but <laughs> for some reason I decided it would be a good idea to you know run for president that following year. Uh, so I did. And you know, in my fourth year of university, I was um, fortunate enough to be, to be named the president of Enactus and did that for a full year. And it was a amazing <laughs> seemed like a lot of responsibility even like at that it, it is a university club but it seemed like a club that did some real impact in the community and I'm sure you were you were quite busy at that point <laughs> yes it was definitely very busy it was pretty much like having a 40 hour a week job on top of your course schedule and you know any other potential jobs that you had uh, and on top of that that was the year that I had also applied to next 36 so there was definitely a lot on my plate that year I, I don't think I slept very much and I used to <laughs> I drank a lot of coffee which I have since given up but uh, I mean it was you know experience of a lifetime uh, you mentioned the next 36 what yes. is that yeah so the next 36 is an entrepreneurial program that's run out of Toronto and basically if you get into the program at the time they would give you up to eighty thousand dollars to start a tech company so you know before beforehand my last years of university again I didn't have a concentration I didn't really know what I wanted to do so I got really really involved in Enactus which was awesome but then of course came the question well what's next I mean Enactus inevitably ends once you graduate so I had heard of this program called the next 36 in Toronto and I figured you know what I'm just going to apply I probably won't get in because it was highly competitive you know they took students from all over the world you just had to be a Canadian citizen but most of these people were coming in from Ivy League schools so I just thought it's it's worth a shot but probably nothing's going to come of this and by luck of the draw I made it to the selection weekend which you know was basically this intensive process where you went through a multiple mini interview so you went through a series of 13 different interviews with very specific case-based questions you were interviewed by you know all these different panels of people and then essentially the 72 were whittled down to 36 and again I just happened to make it into this 36 so all of a sudden you know now this was November of my fourth year so I was still in school at the University of Windsor but now starting this program in Toronto which was effectively a nine-month program to now start and launch a tech company and now I, I don't want you to understate it. Um, had they had any applicants selected from Windsor in the past before you? No. So I was the first Windsorite <laughs> to be admitted into the program. Mm -hmm. And because of you, I think there were other Windsorites afterwards that yeah, were selected for the program. There were. So, so I'm a trailblazer. happy about that. <laughs> uh, so you go through the program, um, you make it to the final 72, then the final 36. Uh, National Selection Weekend, you gave a little bit uh, of an idea of what that was, but you ended up getting put on a team of four to work on your pitch, right? Yes. So basically what happened is you were selected as an individual with no team and no idea. So once you got into the program, at that point, they kind of, you did like a speed date and then you essentially 
you picked your top eight and your bottom two and then a computer algorithm just matched you with a team so it was kind of like an arranged marriage so I ended up on a team with three uh, Waterloo you know engineers and what ended up happening was so over the period of nine months from November until August two of them left the company to essentially go back to school for a bit and then they actually ended up starting something else so it was really myself and my one co-founder named Conrad who we you know took it to the end of the nine months and then essentially launched uh, what is now Kira to the market September of 2012 yeah now it just it wasn't just working on your startup, right? There was additional things you had to do as a part of the program, right? For sure. And that to this day is one of the biggest value propositions of Next36 is that I mean there's tons of accelerator programs for people who already have businesses or already have teams or traction. Next36 is really a founder development program. So they take people, you know, out of their undergraduate because, you know, in their minds that's when you're still malleable and, <laughs> you know, you can you're still um, I guess receptive to a lot of new um, methodologies and ideas and then they put you in this intensive nine-month program where you're actually attending class every day. So you're basically at the University of Toronto um, with professors that are flown in from pretty much everywhere. I mean, we had some from Harvard and MIT, and then we also had some from, you know, Queens and and right there at U of T for the day. So usually eight to, I think eight to 4 p.m. was class, and then they would have networking events almost every single night. So you'd come home already tired, and then you'd be going to some networking event uh, in downtown, or you'd be taking some train to go see a play with you know, the executive team of Ernst & Young, just they were, they would shower you with all of these, um, you know, ridiculous luxuries that you definitely didn't deserve at that age. But the, the hope was to try and, um, you know, really help out your business, uh, help you make connections with the right people that you otherwise probably wouldn't meet on your own at that age, so that really they could do everything they could to help get your business off the ground. And then once you got back from whatever event was happening at 8 or 9 p.m., then you worked on your business. <laughs> so kind of counterintuitive, but. And so you were, you were malleable at the point you said you were, uh, you know, they took people from university, their undergrads, but you were probably still one of the younger people in the program, right? Um, I was probably right in the middle. So most people, again, because I was in, I was in my fourth year at the time. And then I would say half of the people were already graduated. Like this was you know, they had just finished their fourth year. And then with others, they were actually still in their second or third year. So I was the only one in the program that got put on a team with three second year students. So I I was probably right in the middle from an age perspective. Okay. Uh, I just want to go back. Um, You started Kira Talent after you pitched it, uh, after kind of thinking about it over an evening, right? Yep. How did that, (laughs) how did that happen? Like, how did you come up with the, the pitch for Kira? Yeah, for sure. So essentially it was selection weekend and we had just found out that morning that we were in the 36 and then it was, okay, the four of you go in this room with a whiteboard, think of an idea. Tomorrow you're going to present it on stage in front of hundreds of people, not to mention all of the founding patrons of the program and all the stakeholders, no pressure. (laughs) So (laughs) then we're in this room with people we don't even know. And we started brainstorming all these different ideas. And we had the idea for Kira because, so we were assigned to CEO level mentors And one of our mentors, his name was John Kelleher. He was the former CEO of Blacks Photography when they were going through their turnaround. You know, he went to RHB Group. He's worked at Goldman and McKinsey and, you know, went to Harvard. So he was, uh, he came in with the perspective of, well, you know what, when when I was at Blacks, we would get thousands of summer students and it was just so hard to tell them apart. And we really reflected back on our experience applying to Next36 because we actually had to submit a YouTube video, which was kind of a 60 second, why choose you? So we went down this path of, you know, selection, 
selection and hiring and you know were there better ways to maybe streamline the process so that number one you could tell people apart more easily and number two you know students were students applicants whoever it was like they were getting their chance to tell their story so that's kind of how we landed on the original idea of Kira which was a timed video interview platform so basically it was this concept where you know a company would post a video a video question uh, someone applying would have they would see the question they'd have 30 seconds to think about it then their webcams would turn on and start recording their video response so we came up with that concept that night and then presented it on stage as oh yeah this will be a great tool for um, you know fortune 500 and mass hiring we'll go back to the evolution of the of the platform in a little bit um, but one thing you failed to mention after your nine months you guys were selected as the winner of that year's <laughs> cohort of the next 36 correct? Yes. So we finished the nine months and we were selected as the next 36 most outstanding venture, which was a huge honor because I mean, again, you're in this program with, in my opinion, people way smarter than me and <laughs> definitely more educated. And, you know, you're coming out and it just shows that, I mean, running a business, it's like, there's all, there's, you know, so many different paths that lead to the, the right answer. So, I mean, we were able to get a lot of traction in the summer. Um, we were able to sign on some early clients who were actually paying us money, which again is great when you have none. So yeah, in the length of the program, we were able to make some good strides. And so you're just out of school, you're 22 and you were the founder of the, of the founder and CEO when the company kind of got started. Yes. So I think in the first little while you'd gathered like $2.3 million worth of funding. Right on. Uh, <laughs> what was that like to be a CEO at 22 with all that funding? Um, it was a bit of a rush. I mean, you know, obviously it's, it's kind of this weird feeling because unlike being in school, it's like, you know, school where you know what you're supposed to do every single day. You wake up, you have your classes. And I mean, even if you're doing a NACTUS or whatever it is, you have a general sense of what you should be doing because you look at, oh, well, what happened last year and how, you know, there's something to go off of. Whereas when you're starting this net new business, you really have no idea what you should be doing every day. You wake up and you're like, okay, I should probably try and sell this, or I should probably try and build this part of the product so it was really this this kind of wide open space of you had all of this money and there was all these expectations and you know you knew that you had to work really fast to bring something to market and and get lots of clients but you really didn't know how <laughs> and you know you're only 22 at the time and my co-founder was even younger than me because he was coming out of his second year and he had actually deferred school so it was you know the two of us 20 and 22 just really trying to figure out what to do every day. <laughs> so it was definitely a rush. Um, and as, you know, every time you got a client, it was a huge celebration, but um, yeah, it was, it was a really fun year. And not only that, but I think it was your first year in Toronto as well, right? It was, yeah. So basically I had graduated, actually I didn't go to my graduation, but um, I had finished my last exam at the University of Windsor and then pretty much got in my car and drove to Toronto. And that was, that was it. <laughs> was it hard to adjust to living in the, in the big city? No, honestly, I mean, I've, I've always seen myself as a city person. So for me, it was actually long overdue. I think I probably in hindsight should have gone away for school, but I didn't, um, which was totally fine. But, you know, I, I think I was definitely ready once I got here. For anyone that's listening that may be thinking about the path to university and whether they go home or leave, do you have any advice for making that decision? Um, I mean, honestly, like 
I found, so the reason why I ultimately stayed was because it was my parents' decision. You know, they had said, you know what, you're not really sure what you want to do. We'd rather you stay here instead of, you know, waste a bunch of money going somewhere else just to figure out what you want to do. So I think it really depends on your situation. I mean, you know, if you can afford to, to go away and use that time to really explore, then by all means, I would totally recommend it because I think you'll probably figure it out a lot faster and you'll have that experience of being on your own and you'll actually really appreciate home a lot more. Whereas, you know, if it's something that's just completely uh, parents driven, you might be a little bit resentful <laughs> to, to stay home. So I, I think it just really depends on your on your situation. But I mean, if you have the means to do it, I would definitely recommend going away because I think, you know, especially if you're coming from a small town, sometimes you can get stuck in the small town mentality. And if you don't get out of that, then, you know, you might make other decisions that you wouldn't have made had you moved away. You're listening to No Coaster Needed. This is a conversation with Emily Cushman. She is the co-founder and CEO of Kira Talent. If you like what you've heard so far, consider a five-star review on iTunes. It helps a lot. So everything with her and the company was going great. Well, until something happened. Yes. So what happened? Uh, essentially, you know, we had brought in investors and, you know, they, they looked at what we were doing and they said, you know what, this looks great, but, you know, you guys are a little bit young. So step aside, we're going to bring in a CEO. So ultimately, uh, it was kind of a, you know, again, step aside and we'll, we'll take this from here, which was really, really hard. Like, I think uh, I now understand why most founders in that situation just leave. And, you know, because essentially it's like you you pour your heart and soul into this 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 thing, this this company. And then all of a sudden it's just kind of taken away. So, I mean, that was a really, really hard transition. Um, we didn't really have a say into who this person was and, you know, when they were coming in, it was kind of just, nope, we've made this, this decision. So um, that's that. So basically for the following two and a half years, we had uh, an external CEO come in who, again, this person was experienced and, and everything. And um, it was probably the hardest two and a half years of life so far. <laughs> and why do you say that? Why was it so difficult for you within those two and a half years? Well, I kind of compare it to, and again, I have no experience in this, but you know, I, I would imagine it's kind of like if you get married, have a kid, get divorced, and then watch your child being raised by some, you know, second wife. <laughs> That's kind of how I would imagine it. Um, you know, it's like you see someone who's taking over something that you started and making a lot of decisions that you, you know, maybe agree with, but usually you completely disagree with. And, you know, you see the company going in different directions that you don't necessarily like. Um, you feel that you have, you know, much smaller influence. You see people and your team leaving who, you know, were always loyal to you. Um, so you just, you see a lot of things happening that, again, it's just, it's hard to stay there and watch. <laughs> so it's something that, again, it happened for two and a half years. My co-founder actually did leave. He said, you know what, that's, I'm good. I'm done here. So he left. And then for some reason I didn't. Uh, I, so basically in that two and a half years, I kind of just hopped around different parts of the business. I pretty much scaled back a lot of my efforts to half time and just did other things on the side. But, um, you know, ultimately, uh, it all worked out. How many employees did you have at that time? So we had gotten up to about 33. Okay. And a lot of them were actually based in the U.S. So we had blown out a U.S. sales team. We had people in, you know, New York and Houston and Boston and all over the place. If you had the chance to send a message to yourself five <laughs> years ago or rather three years ago when that happened, what would you say to that that self of yours? You know what? I would say just do the exact same thing because I could not have planned uh how well it worked out in the end 
So you hopped around to different teams. Yeah. What what kind of work did you do with the different teams uh, at Kira? Yeah, for sure. So I mean, you know, as soon as it happened for a while, we tried kind of the co-CEO thing that didn't work. <laughs> um, so then I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to do what I believe I'm good at, sales. So I jumped into the sales team and did that for about a year and a half. And I, you know, it actually went really well. I was able to get a lot of big deals, uh, which really helped out the company you know, after that went to start our client success team. So at the time we had one person in client success and just really, I mean, they were the ones who were, I'm sorry, they, he, he was the one who was essentially retaining all of these clients. And I felt it was time to make that more of a team. So started to help him kind of build out and run that team in the company. And then, you know, all the while still having a lot of influence on the product side, um, on the marketing side of things kind of just hopped around. Like, you know, honestly, after being in sales and client success, then there was a period of, maybe six months where I was kind of just like founder special projects. Like I pretty much anything that needed to be done, I would just hop in, which again, when I look back on it, it was so, so painful, but it was probably the best possible learning because it's kind of like I had, you know, six different jobs in a period of two and a half years. So I actually think that had I maybe just stayed in that same role the entire time, I wouldn't have the perspective that I can bring now. And you hadn't formally sold anything before you took that job on the sales team, right? Not really. I mean, I had sold our initial couple clients, but... (laughs) Like, you know, it's it's very different doing kind of your initial founder sales than it is to actually, you know, be in a legitimate sales organization where you're using Salesforce and you're logging calls and you're making, you know, X number of activities per day and driving results. Like it's it's a lot more structured, which I didn't like, but I still made sales. Did you sell anything when you were younger? Like, did you have a paper route or did you sell did you ever have a lemonade stand when you were growing up? I did. I had lemonade stands and we did a lot of garage sales. So I was like really good at what, you know, I would always sell my toys whenever (laughs) that season came around. Mm -hmm. So I guess to that extent a little bit. (laughs) Two and a half years, two or two and a half years go by. Yeah. And the company I'm sure changes and evolves a lot. Mm -hmm. So what was the biggest change that you saw over the period where you were, you know, in charge of special projects or jumping around to different functional areas within the business? Yeah, uh, well, honestly, the biggest change that I saw was less so about the company, it was more about the market. I think the market actually matured and started to become more ready for the technology we were selling. So when we first started this five, six years ago now, I mean, it, we were still very early. Like We would come into admissions teams and say, hey, you know, you guys should look, you guys should be taking more of a holistic approach to your admissions um, process. You know, don't just look at grades and test scores, look at things like you know, timed written responses or video essays or whatever it is, you know, so that you can understand more of a person's motivation and empathy and grit. And they would just look at us like we were crazy. And I think, you know, over that period of those couple of years, we really just saw this evolution in the market that all of a sudden people started to become more aware that holistic admissions was really important. They were seeing, you know, report after report being published that test scores do not predict future success. And, you know, finally everyone kind of woke up and said, oh my God, we need to start being more holistic. And so, you know, I feel like over the past couple of years, like now our sales conversations are so much easier and just people are so much more receptive to technology. Uh, test scores not being kind of as relevant as they thought one surprise was there anything else that surprised admissions offices when you kind of brought the platform to them 
Yeah, I mean, I think what's really surprised them was just the amount of candidates that they would have turned down that ended up being really successful. So a lot of like we hear from schools all the time that, oh, you know, the most successful candidates were actually the ones on the wait list or, you know, the most successful candidates were the ones who, you know, again, in our traditional process, we would have denied them. We ended up accepting them because of a Kira interview. And now they're like one of our top performers. So that's like always, you know, it feels really good for us to hear that because it's like when we think, okay, we work with about 300 schools and to think, you know, if if all 300 of them had even five applicants that they would have denied and now they're doing really, really well. Well, that's, you know, whatever it is, 1500 applicants who, you know, maybe are on a whole different life path because of some small part we played. Platforms evolving. Uh, you're on special projects. And then we alluded to it before, but something happens about <laughs> yes. a year and a year and a half ago at this point. Yeah. So so basically, you know, at that point, I had kind of given notice that I'd probably be moving on from the company. Um, I had actually plans to move to New York. I was really excited about it. But uh, everything happens for a reason. Why New so, York? Oh, I've always wanted to live there. It's still <laughs> it's still going to happen one day, someday. Um, but you know, so we, this was in October that I had said I'd be moving on. And then, I mean, pretty much it was by the end of the year. Um, you know, we had, I guess just a lot of things going on at the company, you know, sales weren't where they needed to be. A lot of partnerships, um, just weren't really working out. And ultimately the board decided that it was time for the CEO to go. So I was asked at that point to step back in. And, you know, I thought about it because obviously at that point I had kind of already set this other path that I was, you know, working towards and really excited about. But ultimately I thought, no, you know what, this is something I started. I would like to take it to the end and just kind of seeing again what had happened over the past, like the you know previous two and a half years, I really wanted to turn things around. Um, part of part of it just to, to prove people that I could. <laughs> um, so then, you know, for all of 2017, I decided, OK, I'm going to come back. And at first it was just interim. I I said, you know what, I'll come back interim CEO and then we'll start a search in six months. And that search never happened. So, you know, we came back in 2017. Uh, so when I say we, I mean myself, but then I kind of rejigged the management team a little bit. So uh, brought in a new CFO, brought in, um, again, kind of promoted a couple positions internally. So really just rebuilt uh, a proper management team. And then over the course of 2017, spent a lot of time to turn things around. So when I had came in, uh, in, again, January of 2017, a year prior, our CEO had raised about 5 million bucks. And uh, frankly, a lot of that, you know, had been spent. So we were actually going to run out of money by October of 2017, which I thought insane because we were making a and decent sorry, amount of revenue. This? When is this? How long did you have? What was your runway like? 10 months. So I came in last January and it was like, okay, 10 months, we're going to be out of money, which again, I thought was absurd because we were making a decent amount of money. So I was like, how can we be spending so much? So really 2017 was managing our cash a lot better than we ever had before. It was making our sales team a little bit more productive. It was, you know, going back to our client success team and saying, Hey, you know, we have all these like loyal clients. Um, can we sell them more products? Can we upsell them? Or can we even right size them? You know, we had accounts that we were previously, you know, discounting or whatever it was. So there was just a lot of change that started taking place and long story short we were able to bring the business back to profitability so it was just a huge turnaround and you know now we're at the point again where we we don't need to fundraise you know we're not running out of money <laughs> we're kind of a healthy business again um, all of our partnerships have been rebuilt and you know the team's just in a really good place was it weird for you to step back into the role of CEO after being out of it for two years yeah it was it was really weird because well I mean I don't know if I'd call it weird. It was just, 
it was a change because I think again over those two years I had kind of checked out you know I was doing other things so it was weird to come back and just be really like entrenched all over again um you know to be working long hours again to be you know just you just eat sleep and breathe the company like I had not experienced that for again probably two two and a half years at that point so that was strange um but you know I think what what made it so much easier was just the motivation of the team around me. I think everyone was really, really happy with some of the transitions that were happening. Um, a lot of people were really happy about the management team. And, you know, a lot of our, some of our former employees even came back. So there was just a lot of positive things that were uh, like the energy was, was higher than ever. How did you manage your time and take care of yourself during that process of working <laughs> long hours? Um, you know what? So again another positive thing from like taking two to two and a half years off pretty much was that in that in those two and a half years I really developed an appreciation for balance I think when I had first started the company you know I was operating like a lot of founders do which was on four or five hours sleep you know four cups of coffee a day little to no exercise eating like crap and then in those two and a half years that you know I actually had the opportunity to just step back um, you know I was really able to develop a health and fitness routine I learned how to cook. I learned how to make really good healthy food and pack my lunch and walk to work. And so thankfully, you know, those things carried with me. Then once I came back, I was a lot smarter about, you know, getting eight hours of sleep every night. I gave up caffeine back in 2014. Um, you know, I, I always made fun of, but I pack my lunch every day and I have all these little funky containers. <laughs> so yeah, I think, you know, coming back, I was just, because I had that time off to actually find out and learn what balance means, I was able to bring that back into kind of this new, um, um, this new rule. Uh, plus you, plus you mentioned you walk to work. Your yes. walk is, you, you mentioned right before we started that your walk every day is an hour. Do yeah. Do just under an hour. Do you do a lot of thinking and, and stuff while you walk or? Totally. I mean, you know, when I first started walking, I thought, oh, I'm going to be so productive and listen to podcasts and audiobooks, And I did probably for two years, which was great. Cause it's like, you know, it's a lot of walking, like it's two hours a day. So you get through, I'd get through like a book a week, but ultimately what I found I like better and this is more just for my own sanity is I just listen to music and I do a lot of thinking and for me that's kind of my my quiet time of day but at the same time you know you're walking you're you're observing the world around you so I actually I prefer to do that now and you know when I have other free time I'll listen to podcasts. What does Kira look like now as a platform? Kira now essentially again we started as you know the video tool we expanded to be the entire supplemental application of the university so now schools will use us for the essay questions, time written, time video, they'll assess certain competencies. So we're, we've kind of become, again, that, that place for supplemental assessment. Now where we're essentially, where we are now essentially and where we're growing over the next year is we've actually, like we're now becoming the full application so that when you apply to a university, you're actually doing your entire application through Kira. And what that allows us to do is, number one, it allows us to pull in new things that schools don't necessarily look at right now. Um, things like social graphs, things about a person that determines their motivation. And ultimately, the whole point is that now we have the data and can start building models around yield prediction. So for those who don't know, yield is basically if a school extends a thousand offers and 500 people accept, then they have a 50% yield which is not great by the way, but I, you know, for schools, that problem of yield is, is huge because, you know, if they get too many applicants, they're in trouble. If they don't get enough applicants, they don't have enough money. So really getting that right is, is an art, not a science, or at least that's what it has been up until now. And we want to turn it into more of a science. Now, the, the problem with schools right now is that when they try to predict yields, it's like they're, they just, 
they only have the information that's given to them, which are grades, test scores, et cetera. So you might have an applicant that looks fantastic and, you know, you work them and you recruit them and you wine and dine them and, you know, you take them all the way up to that stage and then, you know, they end up accepting an offer at another school. And then the school has no idea why. Uh, but, you know, what they don't know is that maybe that person is married and their spouse is at the other school or, you know, maybe it's actually their family alma mater. Like maybe that's the school. So we think that there are so many other factors that play into, you know, a person's decision to go to a particular university or program. And then, you know, there's also even just the fact that does that program fit with their skill set? So we're kind of marrying the two. And by creating our own application, we're now able to say to the students, you know, here are kind of the best fit programs for you. And then we're able to tell the schools, you know, these are the key indicators that are driving people to accept offers at your school. And out of this batch of 2000 applicants, you know, you should focus on these ones or you should know that, you know, this person, I mean, they got a lot of family over here. They probably won't come to your school or maybe they will. But, you know, only if you have these three things. So we're getting a lot smarter about uh, yield in general. So you, you've talked about the platform. Uh, your clients are all, all over the world, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's right. We are in, well, our clients, so we have client schools in about 17 countries and then we have applicants in, I think, every country. (laughs) And you, do you personally go and see those, those customers a lot or is your kind of work concentrated in, in Toronto? So I used to go visit them a lot and I still will make client visits here and there, but for now it's usually our client success team that will go visit our clients. Uh, Every year we deliver, they're called Inspire Reports. So we put together these reports on, you know, usage and metrics and analysis and and of course, it's our opportunity to present new products. So our client success team will travel around to our clients. Uh, you've been recognized a lot um, over the past five years. Uh, but one in particular that I want to ask you about, uh, you recently received the Odyssey Award at the University of Windsor. Yeah. Uh, that was in the month of November, I think, correct? Yes. Um, must have been bittersweet to come back five years later and accept <laughs> that award. Can you tell me what that was like to yeah. come back to your alma mater I and know. win that award? No, it was, I mean, it was great. I think, um, you know, I mean, the University of Windsor obviously, you know, played such a key part in, in the whole story. Um, it's always great to come back and see all the familiar faces and, you know, some of your early mentors who helped really inspire you in the first place to go in one particular direction versus another. So it was a really nice night. And of course, you know, you're able to bring your family out and, um, you know, a lot of times there's events in Toronto and you don't necessarily to get to, you know, you don't get to have your family there. So it was just nice to have kind of that event where, you know, everyone was there. <laughs> uh, how do you give back uh, now that you, you've had some success? You've had a lot of success, actually. Um, how do you give back to people that are kind of coming up uh, maybe in the same scenario that you did? Yeah, for sure. So a um, couple ways, and I'm trying to think of what's the best way to list them. So, I mean, I think number one, like I participate in a lot of different you know, founder driven development programs. So whether it's coming back to, you know, mentor any of the people now going through Next36 or I mean, now I sit on the board of Next Canada, which is the overarching um, company that puts on Next36 as well as Next Founders and Next AI and some of the other programs. Um, It's helping out with a lot of the different accelerators and incubators around the city. Um, Just in general, again, mentoring a lot of founders in the area. And I mean, separate from that, there's, you know, there's stuff with Sunnybrook, but specifically for, for founders, I would say just, you know, I've gotten really involved in the Toronto startup community. So, you know, for a lot of these young founders that are coming up and it's, well, what do I do? Where do I start? Where do I go? Where do I go next? Um, you know, I try to be a sounding board for as many as I can. (laughs) Do you see any changes, um, in the program as far as, um, it, it comes to kind of women in the workplace and women as managers and CEOs? 
Um, sorry, do you mean the program in terms of Next 36? Yeah. So I think Next Canada as an organization, like we are trying a lot more to actively, you know, engage and bring in more female entrepreneurs because you know even though there's a lot that goes into it already like, like the numbers still aren't there so that's always a challenge uh, I mean it's the same with diversity like we have you know these these targets and we always try to hit and you know keep everything very balanced but um, it's, it's definitely something that we're that we're still working on uh, although I must say over the past year the number of women entrepreneurs has just skyrocketed so um, while the trend has been like going up very slow, like it seems something about 2017, uh, it just, it, yeah, it really got a lot better. <laughs> uh, I have two more questions and then that's it. Sure. Um, second to last question is, uh, we alluded to it before, you're a very busy person. Do you have strategies, <laughs> do you have strategies apps, tactics that help you manage your workload? Um, I mean, not really in terms of apps. I just use Evernote, but I mean, in terms of just general planning um for me and again this is not just workload this is just life in general um i kind of set like top two priorities and i will move mountains to get those things done so number one is actually health and fitness because i believe that you know if your health isn't there nothing else matters so that actually is the number one priority of every single day if i do not get you know my workout in if i'm not eating healthy then literally nothing else matters so from a time perspective you know i have my my hour workout that i do every day um you know every weekend i have my meal prep blocked off um you know every morning or night before time to pack my lunch like that is first and foremost number one uh, number two, of course, work. So making sure that, you know, I'm <laughs> getting here on time, I'm, I'm getting in a productive day. And, you know, that just comes down to usually on the weekends, I'll, I'll take some time to to plan out, you know, just kind of clean out my emails and, you know, kind of plan out what are the what are the top couple things that I need to do every single day to make this a productive week. So I go through that exercise, you know, every morning, usually on my walks to work, I kind of think, okay, if I can get these one or two things done today, it's been a successful day. What time do you start your day every day? Yeah. So I usually wake up about seven and I'll get into work for nine. And again, it's an hour walk. So usually seven, eight, get ready. And then eight to nine, walk to work. Um, we know where Kira is going in 2018, <laughs> uh, but uh, what's next for you? Hmm. That's a good question because I have a difficulty separating the two. But um, aside from Kira, because again, we are, you know, there's there's a lot that goes into building this business and, you know, that does take up most of my time. But uh, separate from that, uh, at least right now, I am actually writing the GMAT, which or I'm about to write the GMAT. Kind of just a fun experiment. Again, we've been working in graduate admissions now for six years and I always get asked about it and, oh, you know, what master's program did you take? And, oh, how did you do on the GMAT? And I've always been just, you know, oh, I've never taken it and I have no idea. And, and so everything. you're taking the GMAT for fun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, <laughs> which might make me a little insane, but um yeah, I, I think it works because of the industry you're in. But when are you planning <laughs> on taking it? Um, I'm aiming for March 31st. Is it is it tough to study for? It is because, again, it's because it's not one of my top two priorities, then it always falls off. So, again, I have like my top two priorities being health and fitness followed by work and after that, everything just kind of gets scheduled in. So, I mean, I, I do my best to study on the weekends. Um, I take in a couple of courses for it and, you know, I try to in my free time, but I think it's probably going to come down to the, the last month. I'll have to just really buckle down and, and get to it. Is there anything else you want to add that wasn't said? Any tips, advice? I mean, I think the biggest 
tip or advice I would give, especially, well, just again, for anyone who wants to start a company or anyone who just wants to take this entrepreneurial path, whether it's alone or with others, is just to maintain balance. Because I think if I've learned anything is I've seen so many founders just run themselves into the ground. And I think for me, it was actually kind of a saving grace in a lot of ways. And I reflect on this a lot because at the time it felt like a giant suck hole, but that time of, you know, a CEO being brought in and myself kind of, you know, being gently pushed aside, um, you know, it was a lot of time to reflect on just how I was living my life and just, um, you know, how I was managing my workload. And again, just a lot of things that were not balanced at all, which were probably overflowing into work. And I just feel that now, again, being just having a healthy balance, like you're so much more productive, like more than you could ever imagine on four hours sleep. (laughs) Not only that, but I heard you say something along the lines of, you know, if it's not working right away, don't quit because it takes years to become an overnight success, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So essentially the other thing too was, I mean, you know, we went into next 36 thinking we're going to build the next Instagram and within, you know, two years, we're going to be worth a hundred million dollars. But most companies, yeah, it's eight years, eight to 14 years is what it takes to build a successful company. And I think people really, really lose sight of that. Even, um, you know, sitting in some of our next Canada board meetings, it's like, oh, well, you know, how do we measure success of these companies, you know, after one year? It's like, well, it's a great question because, most companies are not anywhere after one year. So I think it's just, again, for anyone going down that, that path, it's it's patience, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And, you know, realistically, you know, it's probably not going to be your, your only business. So, you know, just take it as a learning experience, especially the first one, because, you know, usually you make your money on the second business, although I'm still hoping for the first. But um, yeah, just Take it, take it slow and steady rather than just sprinting yourself into the ground. Rome wasn't built in a day, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Emily, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Jacob. And that's our show. A big thank you to Emily Cushman. She is the co-founder and CEO of Kira Talent. If you want to follow her work, you can go to kiratalent.com. That's K-I-R-A-T-A-L-E-N-T.com and Kira Talent on all social media. The two tracks that you heard in the episode today are Highway 26 by Foxheart Fishman and How Deep Is Down by Baby God. If you want to follow me on social media, you can do so at Jacob McCourt. And to find all of the episodes of No Coaster Needed, you can go to nocoasterneeded.com or your favorite podcasting service. Thanks for listening.